Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay. We're back. Uh... We are back. And in that... Um, I'm literally back. Yes. From Mexico. You are. Pause for if you need to write your tweet um, canceling me for going to Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be here when you get back. Yeah. And we're back. Okay. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully that hopefully that felt really good to kind of just feel morally superior to me in that moment. Um, congratulations. Congrats. I'm back. Did not get COVID. Did not get or give COVID. Gorgeous. But did get and give head. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Forgive me, Lord, for I have let yet another DJ hit it raw. I love it. I've never let a DJ hit it. Really? Yeah. No. God, you're so lucky. I've let lots of skaters (laughs) hit it, but... That's why you're so attracted to me. I've been dressing more like a skater. Yeah, no, I love skaters. Yeah, same. I'll do a fucking um, pop a wheelie on my clit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get one of those like little skateboards that are, uh, yes. like, are for your like fingers. Yes. And uh, you can like run that up and down your um, holes. Okay. I have done that before with a tiny little skateboard. Just on your joke. puss. Yeah. Oh, like the little God. tiny ones. You're, you know what? You, you don't just talk the talk. You walk the walk. <laughs> <laughs> Mistakes. Ow. There's a lot of people who say they're into skaters, but I doubt all of them have put a miniature skateboard on their clit. I also was very briefly a skater girl in Providence before I moved. I was like hanging out with a crew of girls who skated and they were teaching me how to skateboard. I really want to skateboard. I was you like there's it's one of those things that you there's no way to not get injured. Eventually. Oh, no, I got fucked up. And yeah. I, I the first time I like went down the <laughs> whatever, I literally went flying off of <laughs> no. the board, hit my head on the cement and got right back up and got up on the board. And all of the girls were like, you're iconic. And I was like, more like I'm just crazy. But sure. OK, hold on. so 2021 was the year that we got really into uns uns music we became rave girls that mm-hmm. was fun and we'll continue to do that but 2022 what's the next community we penetrate because we've been talking about how we need more girls yes like hot queer femmes hot, queer in girls. our lives Please hang out with us i'm so, like i'm uh, thinking that we enter the queer femme skateboarding and rollerblading community well i really for years and i know that there are roller like queer girl roller derby yes you know, yes i yes, want to do yes. roller derby yeah and I, that was my goal last year and then it just like fizzled out i want to do that, that movie with elliot page um fuck and drew barrymore uh is drew barrymore in that she directed it and she's oh in it, yeah. well anyway that's us um yeah wait whiplash whiplash yes. yeah let's do that i want to so great i'm down um and then we'll like, you know, everyone has their party tricks at the uns uns like things. Yeah. 
Um, then we'll finally have our party trick. We can like yes. pop a wheelie. Oh, I can't wait to show up like with my skateboard. Yes. I want like I want to be able to <laughs> I once like it's warm out, I want to be able to like skateboard to the club. Yeah. I'm like so I like coat check my, my, my skateboard. My last serious relationship, like I have dated someone since this, but um my last serious relationship was with a skateboarder. Okay. And I know that it, it was his dream to teach me how to skateboard, but at the time I was just kind of in my era of like, I just don't want boys to teach me anything. Yeah. You know, like I was I was 19 and 20 when I dated him and like I just was freshly out of like everyone that I had dated before that knew how to do something that I didn't know how to do, whether it was like play guitar or like, I don't know, fucking whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, you know what? We can just have the things that we both do that are different from each other. And I don't need to like learn your interest because it's your interest. And then you probably not do the same for me because that's always what happens with men. Mm -hmm. Um, But I kind of regret that now because I'm like, I could have been skateboarding for the last six years. (laughs) Well, We'll get someone to teach you. But he's still one of my good friends and he's a really good skateboarder. So maybe he will still teach me how to skateboard. All right. He lives in Seattle, though. So like I'm going to need someone closer and um, mm. more available. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's I love that. I didn't have a goal for 2022, really. I mean, I had like vague goals, but not like a random tangible skill. I want to like, I don't know if skate, I, I think I might want to roller. Yeah, I'd rather do roller, roller skate or yeah. roller blade. Which one is which? I don't know. <laughs> See, this and so much more I will know yeah. by the end of 2022. Yeah. I just want to get physical this year. Yeah, same. I want to get ripped in same. 90 days. I want to get ripped too. So I I got so much more fit in Mexico because of how much fucking walking I had to do in Zipolite um, and literally sprinting from dogs. (laughs) Well, let's do it because I also want to get thick. I'm going to start. I've been talking to my gay friends who are bulking up all the time for advice. And so I'm just going to start drinking uh, like protein shakes all the time because I want uh, I'm not going to get the tits that I want until I get thick and I'm not, I just have an extremely fast metabolism. I will never weigh more than 105 pounds Yeah. unless I add some literal protein shakes into my diet. Yeah. You need to start eating like cottage cheese salads and stuff. Yeah. That's like what I had to do when I was in middle school and I couldn't keep any weight on. And my teachers were afraid that I was like anorexic. And I was like, no, I just have like crazy metabolism. Yeah. I literally lost two pounds this weekend just from like doing drugs. Yeah. Like I was 107 pounds last week. I'm now 105. I I, I got my, my tits came in in high school when I finally, um, like I said, ate literally cottage cheese when I came home from school. Well, when I go to the market tonight, I'll buy some cottage cheese. Yeah. Like cut up some pineapple, put it in there. It's, it's good. I broke up with um, my first girlfriend in the first grade because it, I thought it was so gross that she ate cottage cheese for lunch every day. <laughs> I've never had it, but I'm... Cottage uh, cheese? Yeah, but I'm ready to try it. Um, It's kind of gross, but it's also kind of addictively delicious. Yeah, Drew Anderson famously loves cottage cheese and tweets about it a lot. Yeah. And so I like told him last year, I was like, I think that... I was like, I famously think it's disgusting, but I've never tried it and I'm ready to. Yeah. And he was excited for that. It's a great like protein snack. Drew, come on the pod. Yeah, Drew, come on the pod. Uh, we're finally reunited after like three weeks of not being together. It wasn't three weeks, Anya. It was 3.7. Okay, sorry. After, I thought it was 2.7. No, it was 3.7. I, we. Oh, because before. Yes. <laughs> I counted. Okay, I believe you. Great. 3.7. Yeah. Okay. So over three and a half weeks that you were with your best friends. And not yeah. Me. And that you were with your best friends. You're starting like a pup pack now that like, <laughs> now that I'm okay. go- I've been gone. 
I don't know if it's being started. <laughs> there is already a Brooklyn Pup Pack. I am staying with all of them in in Mexico when I go to Somos. Yeah, but... Nika joined a kinky cult without me. This well, is why you... I can't leave anywhere. <laughs> you can join. I just really want to be a pup. Uh, I do really want to be a handler. Yeah, you can be my handler. I think it would just be... I don't know so... if I want to be your yeah, handler. Yeah, I don't want to be my handler either. <laughs> I think it would be just so much fun. And I just love the idea of like being one of the only girls... In a pup, a pup pack. pack full of gay boys, yeah, and like one bisexual, or right after two we were bisexuals. like, we need to start hanging out with more girls. You're like, I can't wait to be the only girl in this pup pack. These gays, though, like these gays that I've been hanging out with, like they're gays that I genuinely like don't feel the way that I mm. feel about a lot of the other gays that I'm close with. Give it time, anyway. Um, <laughs> they're just I, they're upfront and honest I, about being. I have all, all the love in the world for those gay boys. I do. But I don't trust that there's literally a single gay boy out there that is exempt from the gripes that we have with gay boys. Yeah. No, I don't know. You're probably right. You know, so. Just give it time. You're still in the honeymoon phase with the, this literal pack of gay boys. <laughs> and once again, no shade to them. That There's plenty of people who feel the same way about fucking white women. So like, you know, yeah. like it's fine. But sometimes we, we just need... Um, a break yeah and i'm not proposing a break from these gay boys i'm proposing a break from gay boys in general in the form of just other groups of friends sometimes yeah for sure and i want them to be hot rollerblading lesbians same i just <laughs> listen my one of my main goals for 2022 is to eat pussy for the first time so oh, you're and i treat. just i have a type you know so i need to like find that girl yeah um, I know she's out there. Well, the whole reason that it seems like our types are more sparse is because we just are not around a lot of queer women. I know. Period. I know. And there's also, listen, there's plenty of shit that I sometimes need to break from queer women about too. Yeah. And um, so it's it, it's just time that we diversify our portfolio of yeah. friends. No, absolutely. I'm fully, I'm done. I loved it for 2020 and all of 2021. But I'm definitely, like, done being the, like, only doll slash, like, one of three of the only girls in the room. Yeah. You know? It was, like, hot and cool and fun and chic. But I don't want to be the only one anymore. Yeah. Because it gets lonely up on that pedestal. It does. It was really hard being in that crew in Mexico without you. Yeah. Like, I have... I, not that I was on the doll pedestal. Like, it's a very different pedestal that they put just, like, you know afab non-binary yeah. people on but it's still it's a similar pedestal yeah and um i was just like this is cute and fun and i love y'all but like i wish there i had more than like three options of people that will just like treat me like just anybody else here mm-hmm. and not like i'm getting my own special like we love you because you're not one of us like yeah. treatments you know yeah which is a still fun sometimes no, like, these is. are still my besties but when and it's i still all love the them time, but, it like, can feel a little bit isolating it is it's isolating and it's also just like a little bit dehumanizing it is and it's also just like reductive yeah imo it's like yeah but whatever. i love it like at the party yeah and I, I it's also like i'm not really even be, trying to be treated like i am one of them because i'm not no i'm not well that's another thing i'm like Listen, I am a faggot, but also it's like, like I said last night, I just, every six months I come back to this place where I'm like, no, but I'm a woman. Uh, Like I'm a woman and I'm not one of them. 
that's why I'm literally not one of them anymore. Yeah. Because I wasn't. Because you're one literally, of them. Not, I'm one literally of them not one of them. And never were. And I don't want to be one of them. And I, yeah. So it's like, I want to hang out with more people who are not one of them. Yes. <laughs> so if you're not one of them, come on down. Me <laughs> and Anya want some more we're, friends. We're, yeah. We're taking applications right now for um, not one of them not, not one of them, one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but also if you are one of them we still love you yeah, and are obsessed desperately with you. absolutely you're amazing yeah it's just and i'm sh- you know it's just that you're not one of us and we're not one of you <laughs> that's that yeah plain and simp oh but i am still simping for you yeah and you better still be and you better still us. be simping for us yeah listen the gay boys in my life are my children for sure i love them yeah um but I just, I need, again, we need to diversify our portfolios. Yeah. It's just, we're just, you know, it's in the interest of our retirement. I want, I want more people. I want more friends in my life who understand how fucking treacherous, treacherous it is to have to pee in the bathrooms at Good Room when you're on drugs. Thank you. You know, like I want, (laughs) I want that. Yeah. I just want, I just want a few more friends that can relate to like it being, an actual odyssey to find a place where you are able to urinate. Yes. <laughs> That's it. Shit like that, babes. Yeah. I mean, there are plenty of girlies who can also pee standing up. We're not, re- we're not being reductive to that, but you know, for sure. But I mean, like, I feel like every trans girl I know that has a dick just pees sitting down. Yeah. But I still, you know, I, no, no, I know, I've I know, still I been present for them being able to like piss in the street in a way that I'm not able to piss in the street. Absolutely. And I want to hold space for that. For sure, for sure. Um, but yes, in general, regardless of your equipment, the girlies tend to sit down. Yeah. <laughs> I just want more just... girlies. I want more girlies that are girlies. <laughs> you know, I kind of want to stop calling the girls the girls. Well, I want to stop calling like the gays the, the girls. girls. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like they, a lot of them kind of get too comfortable with us sometimes. And I'm yeah. like, you're not. They love calling the group of friends the girls. And then. And then they love to be extremely misogynistic and just, you know, <laughs> kind of say the most misogynistic shit behind your back, which I'm just kind of over. Huh. Well, anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> got to get that one in. Um, so on this week's Patreon episode, we talk about just like pretty much anything that has happened in the last few weeks. We've been apart from each other. If you want to hear about my sexual escapades in Mexico, which there honestly were not a lot of. I was um, not on my usual bullshit, yeah. but in a good way. If you want to hear about me being dark, insidious and evil, tune in. Yeah. So those can be found um, on our Patreon episode this week. Um, we also talk about a little bit of like drama that happened. I'm not even going to go further into that on the main episode because if you're not paying for it, you don't deserve it. Yep. Um, but it's juicy. <laughs> yeah. Salacious. Rather. Salacious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, but what I will say is... Um, I do have a uh, lover in Mexico City. Yes. Um, she's one of the m- absolute most gorgeous human, gorgeous human beings I've ever laid eyes on. And um, if you want to hear more about that, it's on the Patreon app. Um, like I said, I fucked another DJ. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, there's 
a lot to catch up on and we caught up on it. It's kind of a long, a long bonus up. So patreon.com slash best mistakes pod. Um, but yeah, the, the general gist of our time apart is that we both did a lot of, um, raving and partying and, um, deepening our connections with ourselves and deepening our, um, you know, resolve and understanding of who we are Mm -hmm. as people, as individuals in this world. Yeah. Um, And now we're reunited for, you know, our most iconic collab yet because we did all this personal growth without each other. Yeah. And it's about to be, it's about to fucking go down. It is about to go down. Um, 2022, the year of best mistakes pod and the year of Nika and Anya. Yes. May there be many, many more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, should we segment? Yeah, let's do it. Mistakes, keepsakes, and hot takes. So since last week's episode, I like finished my time in Zipolite and I went to Mexico City. And so I'm going to just kind of focus, I guess, all of my little bits on my Mexico my time in Mexico City I will say that my keepsake is that I had a really fun time in like one of the things I struggled with when I was in Zipolite um, which was like my first half of my Mexico trip was that I felt very like inward and introspective and was really struggling to tap into the side of me that like is charismatic and like makes new friends and like goes fucking like crazy on the dance floor and like is the life of the party like me and her were not on speaking terms (laughs) during my time in Zipolite I was like much more just like gazing off into the distance on the beach and like Mm -hmm. you know wondering about my place in this world which I think um for the for the former to exist that also needs to exist Mm -hmm. so even at the even though at the time I was kind of resisting that, I'm very grateful for that time I had with myself. But in Mexico City, um, I had this kind of surreal experience of like, I already know that I am capable of like making new friends and like connecting with people um, that are like cool and interesting. And you know, I already know that that's something in me, but I haven't in a long time. Had the like I haven't since I've become this version of myself over the last two years had the opportunity to like really do that in like you know in a different country a different yeah. like in an international city and so my keepsake is that I made some like really incredible friends and had like such a magical time um, and they were friends that I made on my own like nobody introduced me to them and I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of the last year and a half has been like you know, you introduced me to a group of people who introduced me to like even more people mm-hmm. who introduced me to like, like we, the uns, uns crowd, like introduced both of us to all these other mm-hmm. people. And like, I just hadn't really in a long time, like walked into a space knowing nobody and like, just like finding and connecting with people like based on like, that we're both just in the same room right now and nobody is like, Oh, you need to meet this person, you know, that kind of thing. Uh And my keepsake was that I fucking did that. You know, I walked into a a few different nightclub party settings in Mexico city and like immediately like just like 
found people that I'm like, oh, that person, like I love their fucking outfit or that person. I like love their energy and just like introducing myself to them. Oh my God. I completely forgot to tell you. Do you remember in P-Town, the super hot Australian guy that made out with you? Yeah. He was in Zipolite and in Mexico City. Yeah. And we hung out at that nightclub, the one that I'm talking about where I made all these new friends. Yeah. He was like, wait, like, I know you from somewhere. And I was like, wait, you made out with my friend in the in, rain in, in P-Town. P-Town. And he was like, oh, my God. Like, yes, her. Like, she was so gorgeous. Like, oh. how is she? Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, he was like. He's so gorgeous. Yes, uh, I know. He's And he is just, like, such like a magnetic. Muscle mag- queen. Such a magnetic force, too. Like, it, it, he's so, so handsome in this way that, like, I feel like he's the kind of handsome where the world straight up treats him differently than other people, you yeah, know? And he uses that force for good. Like yeah. I, I noticed him throughout in Zipolite and in Mexico City whenever I like saw him. And I noticed this in P-Town too, that like he just radiates this like, he's first of all, just so attractive in such a classical, like handsome way. Yeah. But also just like has this gorgeous smile and like this like long flowing yeah. hair and this like, you know, and saying I'm gorgeous. This attractive, <gasps> this attractive like Australian accent, and like Ugh. there's just this thing where he like he is a magnet, yeah. and people are drawn to him. And I noticed in all the settings that I've seen this person, how much he uses that. Like he, I think he can see and knows that the world is like treating him differently than the than everyone else, and he uses that to like make everyone feel good. Like yeah. I just noticed him like. When I was dancing with him in Mexico City, like he like went out of his way to like introduce me to like the other people he was dancing with Mm -hmm. and like make sure that we all were like getting the kind of attention that he was he was getting, you know, because we were all like drawn to him. And he was like, oh, like, by the way, here's this person. And like, I know this person from like, like, you know, telling people like I met her in P-Town in the summer and now she's here. Like, isn't that crazy? And then like, I don't know, I was just very inspired by the way that he was like using that force for good yeah because i'm like damn you could become such a fucking asshole with the world treating you so much better than like it treats other people and instead from what at least what i could tell he was like really like aware of that like pretty privilege he had Mm -hmm. and like was using it to facilitate everyone feeling like they were like the center of the universe the way that he was kind of literally the center of the universe Mm -hmm. but anyway yeah he remembered you and was like asking how you were and um that was just really like it was it's crazy how small the world is, you yeah. know, um, but uh, so kind of separate of him and the few other like Blue was at that dance that that nightclub. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the friends that I was in Mexico City with were all there. Mm-hmm. So even though I knew people in this nightclub, the friends I made that night were people that like I approached and like said hi to and like became friends with. Yeah. And then like hung out with them all the next day and like. You know, who knows if they're like besties for life now, but it's just been so long since I've been able to travel internationally and I have not traveled internationally since becoming this version of myself. And um, it was just really cool to be like, you know what? Damn, like I have that power. Like I can waltz into spaces and like connect with people and I don't need other people's help to do that. Yeah. And it, I knew that, I guess, but it's been a long time since I've been able to confirm that because, you know, f- to be honest, you and I are, have been like this package deal for so long, too. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's and, nice to not like be that. Yeah, it's nice to like minute. see what, like see that people are like attracted to my like energy and like who I am as a person without like 
people they already think are cool, like vouching for me or yeah. like that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So that's my keepsake. And it's just like fucking cool that I now have friends in Mexico City. I don't know. Yeah. Like, hell yeah. Shout out to those friends. Some of them promised they would listen to the podcast. So if you're actually doing that, hi, love you. Um, my mistake this week. Um, I guess my mistake, I was a little bit honestly kind of a little bit cunty to like the group of people that I was traveling with in Mexico city. Uh I was starting to get a little bit, um, stir crazy. Maybe that's not the right word, whatever the equivalent of stir crazy. But instead of being stuck in one space, you're like stuck with one group of people, you know, Uh I was starting to resent like feeling attached to people because like, I don't really speak Spanish. So like I was sort of depending on friends who spoke Spanish for a lot of the trip. And like, I, um, just when you are on a trip with a group of friends, you want to like do stuff together. And I just started to like feel kind of, um, stuffy with like the people that I was with Mm -hmm. and it wasn't their fault, but like when you're with the same people for a long time, like little things about them or about the ways that you operate differently Mm -hmm. start to annoy you. And like, I just kind of hated being on everyone else's timeline. Like Mm -hmm. I was definitely ready to do things at different times than other people were ready to do things. I was on like different sleep schedules, like either waking up earlier or waking up later. We had to like, it was just one of those situations where there was four of us, but there was only two keys to the Airbnb. Uh So we were constantly like miscommunicating who had the keys at what time or like when we were, when like everyone was out and the agreement was to like hide at least one set of keys so that if someone came home, they could get in. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, like multiple times, nobody did that. And then the keys were just with people in a different fucking part of Mexico city when like one of us needed to get inside. I was just starting to get very like irritated with the logistics of being with one group of people in that way. And yeah, I just think I definitely was like a huffy, a like bitch to to them a few times and I don't think that all of it was unjustified like sometimes it was like there was just blatant inconsiderate things happening or like um miscommunications that I found to be like irritatingly meaningless and like needless Mm -hmm. but all that being said I definitely wish I had been a little bit more like there are certain moments where I was like, you didn't really need to like say it that way or be um, as irritated as you were on yeah. Um, But, you know, shit happens. That's part of traveling with people, I think. Yeah. I also kind of saw that coming with this group. Like, For sure. well ahead of time, I was like, I think that this is probably going to be too long of a trip with this specific, like group of people mm-hmm. that I went from Zipolite to Mexico city with. Mm-hmm. Cause like Zipolite was like a bunch of our friends, mm-hmm. but then the Mexico city portion was, there were maybe like eight of us total that were all in Mexico city at the same time. But like four of us that were staying in that Airbnb together. Mm-hmm. And it's specifically the three people that I was in that Airbnb with that I was definitely being cunty to. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like, not my proudest moment. So that's my mistake is that I just like let my irritation um, inform like how I was treating the people around me and like my tone. Mm-hmm. <sighs> my bad. It happens. Um, My hot take. My hot take. Um, mm, how do I word this hot take without just like continuing to be a cunt? 
Um, my hot take is that human relationships are not inherently transactional. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, like, I guess I'll just leave it at that. Like, I just think that there's some people in this world that don't really realize that like the people around you are just like actually just interested in being friends and like connecting and like having a nice time together and not everybody like wants something out of you or is like um like using you for something mm-hmm. and like if you see the world that way maybe examine the way that you see the relationships around you yep. and maybe examine like the way that you might be using the people around you because like the call is coming from inside the house yeah. not everybody sees things that way it's so weird i've literally i have never viewed any friendship i've been in that way yeah. i have never assumed that anybody was like trying to get something out of me and i've never been friends with somebody to get something out of them other than genuine connection yeah and, and assume- like having fun with and each having other having fun yeah it's like obviously i've known when i've I've had friendships where I've been like, oh, I'm being used right now. But then I've just bowed out of it. It's like so it's such like a sad, dark sided way to be friends. It's especially literally as an adult. it is like, literally the reason I stopped hanging out with comedians. As much. Yeah, because like of the networky weirdness of like, am I actually friends with this person or are we just like networking colleagues yeah, right it's, now? It's the reason I had such a hard boundary when I was working in politics because it was very similar. Was right. that I was like, you're not really my friends. Like, we're colleagues. Yeah, and that's also, like, that has a time and a place, but it's just very weird to, like, start being confronted with that same energy in a group of friends that literally is, like, a group of friends that is just, they're friends with each other to be friends with each other. Yeah. Like, what is it that you even think that someone's trying to get out of you when the whole basis of your friendship is, like, going on fun trips and, like, hanging out with each other? Like, there isn't... Like, some of these people are DJs, and, like, I guess there are ways that they could be networking with each other in, like, the DJ landscape. I mean, everyone's networking, especially in this city, but it's not inherently, like... But not to get... Like, it's not inherent... Like, part of networking, actual networking, effective networking, is actually liking each other and being friends. And, like, networking... And not seeing it as solely a network. And also, it's, like, the whole point of networking is that, like, on some level, even if you're not directly, you are collaborating with each other. So it's, like, you're not, like... You're not networking with somebody and just getting something from them and then like buy onto the next person to network with that's called using people that's called <laughs> being transactional yeah. networking is not inherently transactional yeah and i've yeah in my I, opinion it's just been like kind of a weird jarring um wake up call to like sort of see some people being like suspicious of each other in this way where i'm like your suspicion of other people in this way makes you suspicious to me yeah it's so like much if, more about you yes if you're like seeing people as like through this lens, where and why did you pick up that lens in the first place? Totally. Your turn. Okay. My keepsake, I got to spend all day yesterday with um, one of our newer and dear friends, Will. Will Automagic. Love you if you're listening to this app. Um, and it was really nice because I, um, we have both been wanting to spend one-on-one time with each other and it just hasn't happened um it just hasn't happened um and we're always you know we're very often in the same space and we get to chat and talk and we've had little moments here and there where we've gotten to embrace on the dance floor like sit on a couch at a party and talk about our new friendship um but this was the first time where we spent several hours together just gabbing about our lives Mm -hmm. um 
And yeah, it was really nice. Um, I am famously obsessed with bonding with my friends. <laughs> so that was really beautiful. Um, my mistake. What was my mistake? I mean, okay, I guess. My, well, yeah, I guess my mistake is not even like fully a mistake, but it still is, is that um, I listened to last week's episode, main episode of our podcast and had a full, it was the first time I've ever had a full meltdown about this podcast where I was like, oh shit, oh fuck. Ah, (laughs) I like really said way too much and it like put me in a place where I was like, oh no, like, I should have, in retrospect, edited those parts out, but I wanted to keep them in because I believe that this podcast is kind of like an open diary for us. And like, it's, you know, it's us growing in real time. Yeah. And it's it's us like living life and growing and learning in real time. Yeah. But I freaked out because I was like, shit, like I, I, you know, I think there's like a, a difference between processing on the podcast and then just like really talking shit and being like a bitch Mm -hmm. and I was like fuck like I don't like want it's one thing when it was like people we didn't know and didn't hang out with listening to this podcast all the time but now it's a lot of people that we hang out with very often that I like really really admire and really really (laughs) you know like really look up to in a lot of ways and I was it just threw me through threw me into a place where I was like, shit, like, I don't want our friends like it's a bad look. I don't want our friends thinking that like this is how I always am and that I'm like this much of a shit talker because I'm not. I was just like processing something that had literally just happened yeah. like 24 hours before. Um and so, yeah, the mistake was just that I, like, let myself spiral too much. And I, yeah, like, don't didn't... worry, listeners. If you're not one of our friends that we really look up to, Nika's fine with if you think she's a That's shit That's not talker. what I mean. It's <laughs> just kidding. I don't want, like, people that, you know, it's like I don't want people that I hang out with all the time to think that no, like, I, I would ever also talk about them like that yeah. on our very public podcast. Yeah. Um. Well, I think this podcast is, like, we were kind of straddling this line between, like, radical vulnerability of like just sharing what we are actually going through in our lives and like what that feels like in the moment and what we're thinking about it in the moment and part of that being um before it's like a polished story that we have like all of the ways that we think and feel about it completely figured out because that's like the podcast is about like fucking up yeah and it's about like the messiness of life itself yeah And so the listeners, like part of the things that people listen to it for is the fact that we're like talking about that shit from like an extremely authentic place. Yeah. However, it is like a platform that like both people we don't know and people we do know, like listen to it and like interact with us accordingly. Yeah. And so that has just like, I completely get it. Like that's been a surreal part of it for me as well. Like even with this whole situation that you just went through with this person who's also one of my very good friends. And I'm like, it's been, I also am like wondering if I've fucked up by not, um, I don't know, like treating the way we talk about it with a little bit more um, care. care. Yeah. Because 
on the one hand, it's like it's been kind of, you know, we're we're comedians and we've been like saying funny shit about how you got your heart broken yeah. and like fuck this person that broke your heart. Yeah. And I have been like there for you as a co-host and a friend in that perspective. Yeah. And have like, you know, also said some probably like not nice things about this person. Yeah. And I'm not even the one who like was in that situation with them. Yeah. And it's been like on my mind as well where I'm like. They are also like one of my friends, though. Yeah. And I mean, and yeah, they all, you know, also were one of mine as well. So it's like definitely that like caused me to spiral even more. I was like, oh, no, like not only have I been like, I don't know, like a cunt on the podcast just in general. I also have like done like a bad friend thing in retrospect of like, I don't know, kind of dragging that person by their hair through the mud on the podcast. Um and like all of our friends who listen 110% knowing who I'm talking about. And then that person listening to the podcast. Yeah. You know, which it's like, again, this is part of our process. And it's, in my opinion, it's like if you're in our lives and you're close with us, it's kind of like the caveat of being our friends is that we talk openly about our lives. If you're in our life. We try we try to at least not like mention your name if like, you know, it's it imp- implicates you in anything whether it be like drug use or drama yeah but yeah it's it's like dating taylor swift you know there's gonna be a song written about you if you're friends with us we're gonna talk about you on the pod yeah um hopefully you know for the most part it's in ways that people are like excited about and like happy to be part of and even that person has said multiple times they're fine with us talking about them on the podcast yeah um I just don't know how much, you know, once shit started to really hit the fan with them, how much of that was <laughs> chill. Yeah. Um, they haven't said anything to me about it and we are still friends. Yeah. I And, you know, I think there's also just like an understanding that like y- you have not been. Um, it's not like it's like one sided, like, you know, your feelings got hurt. Yeah. So you can talk about that. For sure. I just. um Yeah. Absolutely. But that definitely, it definitely threw me into a place um, where I was like beating myself up more than I think I needed to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And oh, yeah. And so my hot take is that I'm rewatching Girls. <laughs> and my hot take is that the hill I will die on forever is that Lena Dunham both is one of the most prolific voices of our generation, one of the best writers currently alive and possibly to exist in hundreds of years and <laughs> very much a problematic white woman the same way that you and I are problematic white women and who the fuck is not problematic on some level all of us yeah she has been in my opinion so maligned and continues to be maligned even though she's not even really all that present these days like she's not like the it girl anymore that she was like 10 years ago yeah and she still gets maligned all the time and my hot take is that if lena dunham were not a like a woman who is fat and considered conventionally not attractive she would not get the amount and level of hatred and shit that she gets from people and i just know this as like a skinny I'm not going to call myself conventionally attractive because I don't really know how people view me, but I know that I'm hot. (laughs) But, you know, I'm like a a tiny, petite, 
white girl who fits a lot, ticks a lot of the boxes of what is considered conventionally attractive in this day and age. And I don't get near, like, I feel like I have never gotten nearly the flack in my day-to-day life from people the way that someone like Lena Dunham has. Yeah. And also she has a huge platform and is a celebrity. Yeah, but like the comparable people to her that like, you know, have gotten flack for being similarly like ignorant in certain arenas and like have like, you know, fucked up in similar ways are I don't think as um like ongoingly hated. Yeah. Miley also, Miley Cyrus is a good example of yeah. that. Yeah. And often it's like the hatred that she gets always comes back. It always comes back to her physical appearance on some level. Like people always insult her when they're also calling her out for shit about her being ugly or being fat or looking this way or looking that way. And I just think it's like, it's just crazy to me. Um, And yeah, I just was thinking about it because I am rewatching Girls and people love to um, shit on you for loving that show publicly and openly. (laughs) So, yeah, that is my hot take. Leave Lena Dunham alone. Yeah, it's a phenomenal show. Phenomenal. Yeah. Hashtag leave Lena Dunham alone. (laughs) Let's get it trending, folks. That's the name of this episode. Oh, my God. No, it is not. (laughs) Um, It will be when I do an episode about Lena Dunham. (laughs) Which maybe will be next week. Yay. Perfect. Fuck up of the week. Oh, do you want it to be what I said a few minutes ago? I mean, it is so fucking tragic and horrible. Um, And every time we have like a tragic and horrible one for this segment, we feel compelled to be like, fuck up is not strong enough of a word. So let's just say that. Yeah, but it's like a fuck up on. the. Yeah, it is like a a bureaucratic fuck up. Fuck up. Mm -hmm. So this um, affordable housing complex in the Bronx this week or last week. Um, a fire was started because an apartment, one of the apartments had a space heater, um, because their heat was not on because this building has a hundred, has had 174 complaints by tenants filed, I think in the last year, um, about various structural issues, heating issues, et cetera, in the building that have gone unanswered. Um, six people, I believe, died um more than that have been displaced the oh ma- I, I think it's way more than six people died i thought it was 19 oh 17 17 and also it's so an article um from new york post says bronx building and deadly fire was noted for serious safety lapses from a 1986 Wait, blaze no it is 19 including nine children okay sorry there's like four different sources and they were all published at like different times no it's okay um but yeah so i mean this building according to the new york post has like a a history going back as far as 1986. Um, Yeah. But but so what was the deal with the the landlord of that building is also... Yeah, so I'm... uh, Hold on. I'm looking it up right now so I don't say anything that's not true. Here is some information from Breakthrough News, which is... um, Mayor Eric Adams is blaming the Bronx fire um, that killed multiple tenants... um, He's blaming it on the tenant's failure to close the door. Mm. When Breakthrough News asked Adams about heating complaints against the landlord who was on Adams' transition team, he said he wasn't aware of any. That was not what we found. And so I guess there's like the the video is um, the video attached is like a video about the complaints. But so the the landlord of this building was on the mayor's transition team. That's it. 
Um, and there are multiple GoFundMes for the families affected by this. So we're going to link that in the podcast description. Yes. Um, but yeah. Anything um, you want to add? Well, I'm just, I wanted to see if I could find the tweet, but I can't. Um, I just, he was on the transition team and specifically he was like on the part of the transition team that had to do with housing in New York, which is just insane. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we will. Landlords should literally never be involved in the decision making process of housing. No. Period. No. Um, Let's yeah. just get that straight. So yes, we will link um, the various places that you can donate to for these families in the app description. Um, that's all I really wanted to say about it. Yeah, because that has just been the most like horrific thing going on this week, and I'm heard talking about specifically the like government. in our community yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, please donate if you can. And our thoughts are with, um, the victims. Of course, it's like inhumane to have a, like be in charge of a building in a climate like this and for the heat to not be working in literally 30 degree and below weather Fahrenheit to be clear. Let's do a listener mistake. Okay. Listener mistakes. This listener mistake is from Joy. I was staying at home with my dad and older sister after my first semester of college. I had been questioning my sexuality a bit at this point and had bought my first dildo, quote unquote, as a joke on a road trip with my friends the previous summer. During the winter break, I was mostly relaxing and working at a trading card game store to make a little extra money. One night, I arrived home late from a date with my girlfriend, who also lived in my hometown after my family had already gone to bed. My plan was to eat some McDonald's, take a shower, and head to bed because I had work early the next morning. While eating my burgers, my friends from high school who were also home for winter break decided to play a prank on me as they had been hanging out at that hanging out that night while I had been on the date with my girlfriend instead. They knew I had arrived back home, so they decided to drive to my home, park around the corner, secretly climb into the house's backyard, and take a photo of me inside the house eating my food through the kitchen window that faced outside because it would look super creepy. They sent me the photo. I thought it was hilarious and decided to scare them off by flipping on the outside lights that lit up the backyard and sticking my head out the door to the backyard to tell them to get off my lawn. They ran off when I turned the lights on and ran to the front door of the house where I then let them where where I then met them and talked with them for a bit before they headed home for the night as it was a fairly late night. Um, I took a shower and masturbated with the previously mentioned dildo. I promised I promise this is an important detail. I then headed to bed. The next morning, I was working at my job, helping people decide what trading card stuff to buy their kids for Christmas when I received a lot of texts in my family group chat and started to receive a call from my dad. This was really unusual for me as they knew I was working, so I felt like this had to be an emergency and took a break to take the call. It turns out that I had left my dildo on the side of the shower and my sister had discovered it, who immediately told my dad, (laughs) narc, um, this would have been mortifying in an it, in its own right, as I definitely wasn't ready to discuss my still questioning sexuality with my family, even if I trusted them to be supportive. However, they had worked themselves into a bizarre conclusion using other context. When I turned the lights on and 
peeked my head out to spook my friends who were in the backyard the previous night, I forgot to lock the door again and turn off the outside light. Because I was on a date the previous night, my dad and sister had assumed that I had snuck my girlfriend into our house through the back door after our date to have sex in my bedroom and that the dildo in the bathroom was part of our sex and presumably my girlfriend's. And they were pretty pissed. I guess I wasn't supposed to sneak my girlfriend into the house in the middle of the night to fuck. Ironically, I had at other points snuck my girlfriend into the home to have sex, but I would never do it at night when my family was asleep as that would have been too risky. On top of that, my girlfriend and I weren't having penetrative sex because it was very uncomfortable for her. So in actuality, the dildo would have never been hers. I guess kudos to them, assuming that a presumably straight boy and his girlfriend were using a dildo for sex. That seems that still seems like an interesting conclusion to me. I was in a bit of a pickle. I didn't want to come out to them and admit the dildo they found was mine just yet or ever, especially not over the phone on a 10 minute work break. But some of the details I could give to exonerate myself, like how I'd never risk having sex with my girlfriend in the house while they were there or that my girlfriend and I were fucking, but definitely wouldn't fuck the way they were thinking. Plus, my friends coming over in the middle of the night sounded like a lie. Still, I told them about my friends coming over, sent them the messages about them taking creepy outside kitchen photos of me and said that their parents could confirm when they got home and that they had done what they said, which would prove I didn't make up that part and explain the back door being unlocked and the lights on. Still, that didn't explain the dildo. I told them sort of the truth, which is that I had bought it with my friends as a joke the previous summer and had brought it home from college as a symbol of our friendship. It had gotten dirty from being loose in the bag I brought it home in from college and cleaned it off in the shower but forgot to hide it again after it dried. This was pretty close to the truth, all things considered. My girlfriend's parents could also confirm her being home and not leaving their home all night. Given this evidence, my dad and sister accepted that this was just a series of inconvenient looking circumstances and dropped the issue. I don't know why they felt they had to confront me while I was in the middle of work rather than like after my shift, even if I had done what they were accusing me of. It definitely put me in an anxiety tailspin to explain myself, but just not for the reasons they thought. I later came out as bi and a trans girl, and my family is wonderful, loving, and very accepting. I wonder if they even remember this incident and now are like, ooh, the dildo was hers. Mm. Moral of the story is to never leave your sex toys out where your family can find them and remember to lock the back door no matter what you're doing in the middle of the night, sneaky or otherwise. (laughs) Thanks for reading again. Uh, or thanks for reading again. Love the podcast so much and wish the besties the best love joy. Um, <laughs> P.S. I've been able to take some advice Anya gave on the show that is like personal, but I'm very grateful for. Oh, maybe this is not something to read on the pod if it's a personal thing. Um, oh, OK, whatever. They they shout out the fact that I say that you can um, build up your bladder's ability to hold pee (laughs) (laughs) i love that um so shout out to joy and shout out to your bladder and shout out to your um shower dildo i'm glad it you know i'm glad it has all worked out yeah that's so good (laughs) i'm it's very weird of your family to like even bring it up yeah it is really weird i feel like if i actually no my family would have brought it up really yeah that just sounds like they have a family that doesn't have boundaries yeah 
Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. I feel like if I was ever in a situation slash I, I'm sure it has happened where like somebody's sex toy was like out the like general mode of um how to deal with it would be to either ignore it or like make a joke about it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my family definitely would say something about it. <laughs> well, whatever. Fair enough. It's um would they have blown up the group chat while you were at work? No, but I mean it just reminds me of the time that my mom my mom just like always brought like my mom always made it like a family discussion on some level when anything like sexual happened regarding me when I was a teenager. So Yeah, interesting. It would have been like a big thing for sure. Family discussion. You know, just gossiping about it essentially. <laughs> um interesting. Do you have a deep dive? Deep dive. Deep dive. This is just very similar to what I just, or not very, but it's similar-ish to like what I've just been through recently. Um, And um, so it's just like a deep dive that is kind of immediately in my mind. But when I was 19 and living in Brazil during my gap year, I met this boy named Marco on Grindr and we uh, hooked up and I... I had obviously been hooking up with boys since I was 16, 15, 16, but never had feelings for any of the boys that I had hooked up with. Um, So we hooked up. I got really digmatized. We also like really trauma bonded heavily, like while we were hooking up. And, you know, it was just my like Lizzie McGuire meeting uh, Paolo in the Lizzie McGuire movie moment. Um, very, uh, this is what dreams are made of. He was super beautiful. The sex was really good. Um, there was like this electric connection and I got, I just was like head over heels for him. And instead of just allowing, mind you, he lived in Brazil. I was only there for one more month. There was no way that this was going to turn into anything (laughs) other than us just fucking like twice a week and texting a lot. Like it was just a being in another country or it should, I should have just viewed it as a being in another country affair that wouldn't turn into anything else and like peace out. See you probably never again, Mm -hmm. though I did end up seeing him again when I went back. But anyway, (laughs) I, it, it became something more in my head than it should have been. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with him and was just like so obsessive about him. And really just like, yeah, I, I, I turned it. I, I tried to um, kind of, you know, one of our friends recently said that I tried to turn one of the girlies into, tried to make a man out of one of the girlies. <laughs> I feel like in this situation, I tried to make a man out of... Like someone trade. I was having trade, yeah, <laughs> fully that. Um, and but you know, I was like 19 and I came out as gay right after we hooked up. It was the first boy that I felt like I was really in love with, and you know, I got confused by how he was like extremely into me. And I think that what we just had was like good sex and like a friendship 
And I mistook his affection and his like words of affirmation for also being in love with me. But like he doesn't want to admit it. Um, And it just like it ended up ruining in retrospect, like what could have just been like a really chill one month affair Mm -hmm. because then it just ended really sloppily. We got into like a huge fight. I like left Brazil with a broken heart. It like ruined the month that I spent in London, which I'd been really excited for. That was like London was what I'd been most excited for in my gap year. And then I spent all of London like listening to Amy Winehouse and sobbing Mm -hmm. and being really sad because I was in love with this person. And I it, I mean, it took me like a year and a half to get over him. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we, and but we literally and like we would like talk all the time when I like was in New York and then I went back to Brazil, um, though I denied it. I fully went back to Brazil to see if I was still in love with him. Yep, I wasn't, um, which was like a nice feeling that I was like, oh, I'm actually not in love with you, but I'm still really happy to be in Brazil for six months now. Hot. Um, but yeah, it just like, you know, I um. I just created a fantasy in my head and then tried to turn that fantasy into reality. And it's not, it's not what it was. And so that's, that's my deep dive is, um, kind of breaking my own heart when I was 19. Okay. So much like you trying to turn a fantasy into a reality and it ending in, um, disaster. (laughs) (laughs) So too did, um Montezuma when the Spanish conquistadors came and he welcomed them with open arms resulting in the fall of the Aztec empire okay <laughs> which honestly also happened um in like Latin America yeah. <laughs> there's just a lot of <laughs> there are actually a few different ways to compare this to your um to your deep dive all right um also, I have to say that, like, I just think that's something that happens when you're like 18, 19. Yeah. It's like you like hook up with someone and you're like, wait, am I actually in love with this person and ready to like record scratch my entire life to see if this is the one? I mean, yeah, I literally uh, not to uh, like get off of what you're about to talk about, but I literally <laughs> when I got back from Brazil, like my mom was helping me try to like find colleges to go to in Rio because I was like, oh, I God, need to I be get back it. there with him. Um, <laughs> yeah, I get it. Best mistake. Okay, so famously, <laughs> I was just in Mexico and um, Wait, I you were on you. The, <laughs> the pandemic. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. And I went to Sorry, the guys. um. I, I went to the uh, anthropology museum there that is like basically. I love that store. They have a museum. They have an anthropology museum in Mexico. <laughs> yeah, right next to the Urban Outfitters Museum. Oh my god. Uh... Um, the their anthropology museum is like among like the way that the natural history history museum here is like. Oh, if you're visiting New York City, you have to go to that museum. Like that is what that museum is in Mexico City. It's fucking amazing. Um, and the majority of the museum is about the anthropology of specifically like Mexico and um, the like history of like the very first migration of people from like Eurasia to the Americas and then like Mesoamerican human civilization um, and the rise and falls of like all the different types of people and communities of people that were in specifically Mexico up until the conquistador um, conquest. But um, 
So I went to that museum. I also went to the um, Teotihuacan um, temples. Okay. And if you're not familiar with those ruins, the Teotihuacan, sometimes they call them the Teotihuacan pyramids. They are um, not pyramids. They are temples. And the difference being mostly in like the literal shape, like they are, they have like a flat top, Um, but also just in the use for them, like Egyptian pyramids and the Teotihuacan temples are like very different structures with very different uses from the civilizations that made them. But anyway, I went to that. I went to those ruins and something that like they're often referred to as Aztec temples, but the Aztecs did not build them. They were found by the Aztecs. They were um, already abandoned. It was like a city that was already abandoned by whatever group of people like now we call them the Teotihuacan people, but like we don't know what they called themselves. Mm -hmm. They didn't leave behind any written documentation of who they were or what their lives were like pretty much anthropologists have had to like piece together all that information based on what they left behind because luckily um the aztecs were so fascinated by these ruins that they like preserved a lot of it like they they built a city on top of that city but like left like a few feet between what they built and what was below it literally to preserve what was there which is like such a gift to modern day anthropologists who were now able to like ascertain so much information about whoever was there before them because instead of just like bulldozing over it and making their own city there they were like no this is like crazy that people were here before us and that they built these things like the Aztecs were like very impressed with the like I mean it was a it was a like enormous basically like modern city mm-hmm. um and they like a lot of a lot of the aztecs like thought that like um like gods built it you know because they're like how did people before us before because the way like, every civilization thinks yeah. like they're the smartest civilization that's ever existed so they were like how did anyone before us figure out how to do this mm-hmm. the, the aztecs in general were like a group of people that were very interested in like learning things and documenting things and keeping track of things. Mm -hmm. And so um, the there was just like a general like reverence for this place. And um, even though the mistake I'm going to talk about doesn't really have anything to do with the Teotihuacan temples, I think like the way that they felt about these temples and the way that they um, like treated they, they like there's a lot of different the the articles that I've read about it will like refer to um, the Aztecs as like collectors, people that collected things, liked studying things. Took the way that they felt about the Teotihuacan like city and temples. Um, it is not then hard to make the leap of assuming that that's also how they felt about these strange Spaniards that came upon them. Like these are interesting new people. Um, so they almost saw the, the conquistadors that literally came to like overthrow them. Mm -hmm. Um, they saw them as like interesting things for them to study and basically add to their collection of like their own anthropology essentially, which is why their guard was not as up as it should have been. Um, and so I'm going to just talk a little bit about the very tragic fall of the Aztec empire due to um, specifically um, Montezuma 
wanting to study and like befriend the Spaniards because of his own like obsession with anthropology, essentially, um, when the Spaniards, the only thing that they had any interest in is conquering this new world Mm -hmm. and kind of taking advantage of that um, like wonderment that Montezuma had. Also, the reason I want to talk about this is because I fell victim to Montezuma's revenge, which is what they call when you get horrible diarrhea in Mexico. (laughs) Um, It's very (laughs) somebody was like, doesn't it suck when you were the last Aztec empire? The only way anyone remembers you is when they're having like they're like shitting their brains out (laughs) in Mexico (laughs) because that's what they call it. (laughs) Also, speaking of Aztecs and mistakes, um, (laughs) they did not call themselves Aztecs. They were Mexica. They were the Mexica people. So I am going to try to refer to them as such going forward in this mistake. Um, I called them the Aztecs at the beginning for like context because that's what we all know them as. But that was just because the conquistadors like misheard them. I mean, what like fucking tale as old as time. Every time someone colonizes a group of people, they're like, that sounds about right. Like, mm-hmm. let's just call them this. And it's it kind of reminds me of in Arrested Development when that Korean exchange student just says hello to them and they think that his name is Anyang. <laughs> <laughs> that is um, basically us calling the Mexica people Aztecs. Um, not that Aztec was how they said hello, but it was um, just a violent uh, mispronunciation of like another word that they referred to like yeah. themselves as. Um, but they were Mexica people. And that's also why the, they when Mexico got its independence, called itself Mexico because their ancestors were the Mexicas. Uh-huh. Just for those of you who don't know that. So the what is now Mexico City was the Mexica Empire's capital of Tenochtitlan. Um, Say that three times fast. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. No, I respect that. That's fine. Um, so that city was founded in 1325 AD by a wandering tribe of hunter-gatherers um, in what we would now call Mexico City. Um, and in only a century, this civilization, this civilization grew into the Aztec Empire, um, largely because of its advanced system in agriculture. And um, the empire came to dominate all of central Mexico. And um, the, uh, the, the, by, the, by 1502 AD, it had reached its greatest extent, extending as far as uh, as far south as um, perhaps modern day Nicaragua. Um, and at the time the empire was held together primarily by the Mexica's, um, military strength and Montezuma, the empire, the emperor set about establishing a bureaucracy, creating provinces that would pay tribute to the imperial capital. Um, and the conquered peoples resented the Mexica's demands for tribute and victims for religious sacrifices, but the military kept the rebellion at bay. So the the Mexica people and like the Aztec Empire, quote unquote, was um, a violent empire. Um, you know, there are many instances of colonization being like weak we as in European people um, colonizing parts of the Americas that were like mostly like peaceful tribes and stuff. 
Um, the Mexica people were also pretty brutal. <laughs> like there were a lot of there were a lot of unhappy citizens mm-hmm. of like the quote unquote Aztec Empire, which I think also contributed to um, how it was able to even be overthrown by a much smaller group of conquistadors at the mm-hmm. time. Um, there is a young Spanish-born nobleman, or uh, yeah, um, name named Hernan Cortez, um, who came to the West Indies in 1504. In 1511, he sailed with Diego Velasquez to conquer Cuba and twice was elected mayor of Santiago, the capital of Hispaniola. Um, In 1518, he was appointed captain general of a new Spanish expedition to the American mainland. Velazquez, the governor of Cuba, later rescinded the order and Cortez sailed without permission. Um, Velazquez kind of got the impression that Cortez was interested in the gold in the Americas and not in like specifically conquering on Spain's behalf. So there was like a lot of suspicion among um, like the the Spanish conquistadors that um, Cortez was in was in it for like self-interest and not for Spain, Mm -hmm. which also like Spain is essentially also just in it for self-interest. So like, you know, it's just funny that they're like, that guy sucks. It's like, no, you all suck. But, (laughs) (laughs) but so he sails without permission. Um, He visited the coast of Yucatan um, in March, 1519 and landed at Tabasco in Mexico's Bay um, with 500 soldiers, 1000 or not 1000, 500 soldiers, 100 sailors and 16 horses. There he won over the local indigenous people and was given a female slave um, who became his mistress and later um, had his son. She bo- she knew both Maya and Mexica languages and served as an interpreter. Um, the expedition went up the Mexican coast where Cortez founded Veracruz mainly for the purposes of having himself elected captain general by the colony, thus shaking off the authority of Velazquez and making him responsible only to King Charles V of Spain. Um, At Veracruz, Cortez trained his army and burned his ships to ensure loyalty to his plans for conquest. Um, he learned about the political strife of the Mexica empire and led his force to the Mexican interior. Um, on the way to Tenochtitlan, he clashed with, um, local indigenous people, but many of them, including the nation of, uh, Tlaxcala. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing some of these or all of these. You're doing your best. Um, uh, they became his allies after learning of his plan to conquer their hated enemy of the Aztec rulers. So hearing of the approach of Cortez with his um, army and sophisticated we- weapons, Montezuma tried to buy him off, but Cortez would not be dissuaded. On November 8th, 1519, the Spaniards and their 1,000 Tlatelatec warriors were allowed to enter Tenochtitlan unopposed. Um, So there is multiple, there's some varying theories. So 
It should be noted that while the the Mexica people were very well, like, learned people and they had documentation of all the things that they knew and had learned and of their very sophisticated society, by the time they were overthrown and it became um, a Spanish colony, all of those records were burned. So a lot of the information about the um, relationship between Montezuma and Cortez is based on Cortez's letters and records. And we should keep in mind that he is kind of a traitor at this point. Um, He personally considers himself loyal to the Spanish king. But the people in Cuba that he helped conquer Cuba with are all like mad at him because he just sailed to Mexico without their permission. And so a lot of his written records of his interaction with the Mexica people, or in his words, the Aztecs, um, it should be taken with a grain of salt that he was writing to the king to kind of appease the king of what he had just done. Like Mm -hmm. he wanted to make it seem like it was so worth it that he did this because he's going to make this part of the Spanish territory and it's all working out just according to plan. So all of his letters that are like our only written record of what had happened are like all him kind of talking himself up and talking about how stupid the Aztecs are. Okay. So keep that in mind. Um, So historians, there are historians that disagree about the following detail. Um, Montezuma was a very religious person who was specifically obsessed with the gods that are depicted in Teotihuacan temples. And there is one God in particular that um, Hernan Cortez technically fits some of the um, descriptions of like he's got fair skin and he has um, like very worldly knowledge. And like, I forget all the details because the, the, this part of the story I learned like from a tour guide. So I don't have like the written, I mean, much like this history, it gets muddied if you don't have the written record, (laughs) but essentially there are some historians who believe that Montezuma thought Hernan Cortez was a God. However, a lot of historians are like, no, there's no way he thought Hernan Cortez was a God. He was just fascinated by him as just like a random person from a different part of the world. Um, So I'll leave that up to you listener on what you think is true, but some historians think Montezuma thought of him as um, the divine god of Quetzalcatl, um, who was prophesied to return from the east in a one-read year, which was 1519 on their calendar. Um, so it's possible, but it's also equally possible that he was just like fascinated by this other culture. Either way... The Spaniards were greeted with great honor and um, were given, you know, a lot of hospitality by the Mexica people because for one reason or another, Montezuma was very excited they were there. Um, Cortez took this opportunity to um, essentially use Montezuma and use his like open greeting and kind of naivete Um to eventually take him hostage so that he might govern 
he might be able to govern the empire through him. Um, the, um, woman that, that spoke both the Mexica language and the Maya language served as an interpreter, um, because there was, so the Mexica people also had somebody who spoke, um, Maya. And so there's a lot of like lost in translation where like, she spoke a little bit of the Aztec language, but spoke more Maya. And this other person, like the opposite was true. And so there's like a lot of like there the two people that served as like the interpreters between the Spaniards and the Mexicas, mm-hmm. they were never fully speaking the same language as each other. So there's also just like a lot that they didn't even know they were saying to each other. So like, how could we even know what they were saying to each other in, in like Cortez's written records, you Mm -hmm. know, there's just so much about this that like is not fully documented properly and probably even in the moment wasn't even being communicated properly. But, um, in any case, Montezuma was, um, in Hernan Cortez's letters written and talked about in history as being a weak coward who just like forfeited the empire to Cortez um, because he's like superstitious and afraid of the Spaniards and overwhelmed by, by them. In reality, um, the real Montezuma was like known as being like the most prolific emperor they've ever had. And, um, uh, after inheriting the throne from his uncle, um, he was the one that was responsible for like conquering and expanding the empire to the largest it ever had been. Um, and he made powerful enemies because of like the threat of the Aztec empire expanding throughout that region. Um, he maintained vast complex libraries, zoos and gardens, Um, like all the things that we might think of, like the great empires of Europe, like was true about this emperor and his empire. Mm -hmm. So when the Spaniards arrive, he's fascinated by them. He's not afraid of them at all. So rather than behave in a barbaric way, which is to attack and kill them, he lures the Spaniards into his city, puts them up as his guest in his father's palace. And to him, it's an order to study them and learn from them and in in effect, like add them to his like library in his great empire. It was a mistake to invite an invading army into his city and host them like royalty for six months um, while peppering them with questions and conversations. Um, And that um, becomes clear when um, the surrender his eventual surrender that he has to do when they finally make their intentions known after six months with him the the moment that people think of as him being weak and um you know stupid mm-hmm. um it's just because uh ultimately he's like caught off guard he yeah. he thinks that he's made these like friends and that they're like exchanging ideas as two advanced civilizations. Is that like, to me, it's like, is that a mistake so much as it is like these other people being barbaric in the way that he didn't want to be? You know what I mean? Like it's remembered in history as like one of the biggest mistakes ever made was that he befriended and took in the, the Spaniards. 
But like to me, the real mistake is that the Spaniards didn't just reciprocate that like friendly action and collaborate with this like vast, impressive empire rather. And then just instead like bulldozed them. But so um, the the answer is that um, the, the truth is that he didn't ever really, quote unquote, surrender at all. The earliest account of Montezuma's alleged surrender was written by Cortez himself and was either a gross mistranslation or might more likely a total fabrication to cover up the Spaniards desperate situation. So Cortez wrote his account of the famous meeting with Montezuma a year after it happened. By 1520, the Spanish were at an absolute low point in their bloody war with the Mexica people. Montezuma was dead. Cortez had lost two thirds of his men fleeing um, the city and the Spanish had taken refuge with the Tlaxlatex, sorry, um, the said enemy. Um, and Cortez was also wanted for uh, like all of his bullshit by the Spanish colonial authorities in Cuba. Um, it was a precarious moment for him. So he wrote a letter to King Charles V of Spain. Instead of asking the king for help or royal pardon, he told the story of the day he met Montezuma. Um so in his letter, he basically just says that they cross a wooden bridge into the island of the city Tenochtitlan and um, were met by Montezuma dressed in even finer cotton robes and accompanied by um, a bunch of noblemen. Cortez and Montezuma exchanged gifts and the conquistador presented the emperor with a necklace of pearls and glass diamonds and Montezuma reciprocated with jewelry adorned with shells and gold figurines. Montezuma showed the Spaniards into the salon of a very splendid palace. So according to Cortez, writing a year later from his memory of a twice translated speech, like I said, like Maya to Mm -hmm. whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, Montezuma related a story of an ancient Aztec ruler who departed long ago with a promise of returning to conquer this land. Montezuma said he believed that 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 the Spanish were those prophesized conquerors and even recognized the king of Spain as our natural ruler. In that speech, Montezuma supposedly says, I've been waiting for you. All I've been doing is holding this seat for you. The representative of our true natural lord, the king of Spain. So multiple historians think that this is objectively absurd and that there's no way that this is actually how it went down with Montezuma. But Cortez knew his audience and knew that the King of Spain would eat it up. Um, His letter was printed and published all across Spain. So we'll never know what Montezuma really told Cortez when they first met. But the fact is that Montezuma didn't surrender. He hosted the Spanish for six months, providing them with food, gold trinkets, women. And eventually Cortez had to march back down to Veracruz, to the Veracruz coast to repel a Spanish battalion sent from Cuba to arrest him. While Cortez was away, his aide Pedro de, de Alvarado, Pedro del Alvarado or, or Alvarado, yeah, Alvarado, um, was left in charge of 100 Spanish troops 
and mistook Mashika religious ceremonies with ornate costumes and drumming for war preparations. Oh, my God. In a panic, he and his men massacred dozens of Aztecs in the Great Temple, chopping off arms of the drummers and murdering unarmed Aztec priests. Knowing this meant um, war, the Spanish captured Montezuma and held him prisoner in the palace. When Cortez returned, he joined the fight raging um, in Tenochtitlan. And at some point, Montezuma was allowed to walk onto the palace patio and speak to the Mexica people. According to the Spanish, Montezuma was killed by a rock thrown from one of his own men because they were infuriated by what a cowardly, like, bitch he was, essentially, for, like, quote-unquote surrendering to them and then speaking on their behalf on this patio. However, and like urging peace with with his people and Mm -hmm. the conquistadors. But it is much more likely that Montezuma was murdered by the Spanish and this is the story that they tell that they told to kind of keep um, the descendants at bay. You know, Mm -hmm. that like the yes, Mexico was taken over by conquistadors, but it's because the the ruler at the time was such a like terrible, cowardly, weak person that couldn't even like stand his own ground. And he even got killed by his own people. So you guys are actually super Mm -hmm. like lucky to have us as the new rulers of this land. But it's much more likely that Montezuma was killed by um, by Cortez. The war between the Spanish and the Mexica raged on for years and resulted in horrific loss of life from battle and disease. Um, Cortez and the Spanish eventually succeeded in um, taking over, but only with the critical help of the Tlaxclatec warriors. Um, The myth of Montezuma's surrender has persisted in popular imagination because it's a key lie that justifies the conquest of Mexico. Instead of a war of aggression, the Spanish were bringing civilization and Christianity to Mesoamerica. Of course, Montezuma surrendered because he was overwhelmed and amazed by the technological advances of the Spaniards. In the decades of um, after the Spanish conquest, indigenous Mexicans were also taught that Montezuma was a weak emperor who bowed to the technological superiority of the Spanish, which made Montezuma an easy scapegoat for the cruelties of colonial rule. Um, so to me, the two mistakes of this story are that of Montezuma's like welcoming like interest in the Spaniards, but also in the Spaniards spin of what happened. Like, I think it, there's just a lot of blatant lies and it's still like a popular myth that he thought they were gods, you know, maybe not quote unquote a myth because some historians do believe that to be true, but a lot of historians agree that that's a myth, but either way, the myth, the like resounding agreement among historians that it is a myth that he ever quote unquote surrendered to them. He was more seized by them and then murdered by them. Um, that being said, also, was possible because there were people around that already hated this empire and fought with the Spaniards against the Mexicas. So, you know, I'm not here to say that Montezuma was some like victim in all of this because it sounds like he was a pretty rough ruler as well. Mm -hmm. But like, as far as um, the story of like 
conquistadors and like the Spanish coming and like saving Mexico from itself. It's mm-hmm. like they're just as brutal and terrible as he was, if not worse. Yeah. Like if anything, I just feel like they would have really gotten along with him. They had a lot in common. <laughs> <laughs> he was also trying to conquer all yeah. of Mexico. You know, they had that in common. Yeah. Um, but that's not to say that I agree with any colonization happening. No, but it's important to know. I mean, I think it's still like infantilizing when we like look at these ancient cultures that were as if they're like they, they were these. Not like even, perfect... This isn't even ancient. But, yeah, yeah. You know, it's very much like the story that we tell ourselves about like indigenous people in this country Mm -hmm. it's like yeah many of them were peaceful they should have never been colonized they uh, absolutely we or not we but the colonizers who came here committed a genocide but also like open up a book read about the history about a lot of these indigenous people a lot of them were massacring each other yeah like that doesn't mean that they should have been colonized but it is infantilizing to be like everything was so perfect and they were like these woo woo magic loving people who were living in harmony and, and some of them were were but yeah. most of them were not <laughs> read a book yeah learn a book learn a book but it is definitely i mean the the like the spanish um colonization of like central and south america and the just general european colonization of north america is definitely, I think, the inception of, like, white supremacy. Yes. And, like, that Absolutely. that has been so much more powerful and so much more um, atrocious than any version of, like... Totally. Any version of colonization that was happening totally. amongst indigenous uh, North and Central and South and American who people. led the charge? The Catholic Church. Yeah, and it's... Shaw. Biggest colonizers and white supremacists in the world catholic church yes and that's also just like you know such a huge part of like what ended up like you know there's i'm like ending this story at just kind of the fall of the mexica empire but like what happens after that is such a systemic or like a systematic um like deep horrific uh obsessive takeover of the Catholic church specifically. And, you know, this being my first time in Mexico and seeing just how much Catholicism like has its like claws in everything about, um, the history that happened after that point in that country. It's just very, very interesting and fascinating. And, you know, it's a lot of people's genuine, true, like, bottom of their heart religion and I don't want to like take that away from them but it's also uh terrifying and horrible how that even became possible yeah I'll take it away from you I was raised Catholic I was baptized so you're in a cult (laughs) get out (laughs) you're literally in the biggest and most powerful cult in the world you want to talk shit about Scientologists look at the Catholic Church babe they created the blueprint for cults my god for sure Anyway, moral of the story. Moral of the story. Story of the Mori is don't start an empire. Um, (laughs) Just like period. Period. Don't don't start an empire. Don't. Period. (laughs) Don't start an empire. It's like gross and it's always going to crumble. 
I guess like a moral of the story, if you want to apply it to like your day to day real life is just be a little bit um, or be a lot a bit more guarded with who you let into your life Mm -hmm. because you never know who you're letting, you know, you never know. Look at the red flags and when a person shows you who they are, believe them right away (laughs) because they could come and colonize your life. Yeah. So they could make the empire of your psyche absolutely crumble. Yeah. And you don't want that to happen. In this week's Patreon episode, we say that um, we we're learning how to become more and more discerning with who is like deserving of giving us love and getting our love. Yeah. You know that yeah well and this also ties into uh, you talking about us talking in general about uh people being transactional yeah yeah cortez was very cortez but you know what so was montezuma they both are yeah well and look where that got them look where that got them also my sources are the anthropology museum in mexico city the tour guide of the teotihuacan uh temples that I went with, but also the article on um, history.com called Aztec Capital Falls to Cortez and the article on history.howthisstuffworks.com called... The Real Story of Montezuma, The Last of the Aztec Emperors by Dave Roos, published on December 15th, 2020. Um, anyway, don't colonize, but also don't emper- emperize. Yeah. Your relationships. <laughs> ever. Don't be a colonizer, both yeah. like in the world and then also to your friends. Yep. Um. The only emperor that I respect is Cusco <laughs> from the Emperor's New Groove because he changed. He literally changed into a llama. And then changed back into an amazing human. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, fascinating history that I honestly, you know, I've like learned various things about like the Aztecs before, but I learned so much when I was just in Mexico city and I'm now currently on just like a general obsessive kick with that whole era with that hole with that hole. I love that. And speaking of holes, test Test your your holes, test your your drugs and kiss kiss your friends on the the mouth. mouth and also leave us a review. Send us your mistakes. Send us your mistakes. At bestmistakespod at gmail.com. And um, we hope to really colonize your hearts in an ethical way. (laughs) Uh, Ew. Love you. (laughs) Love you.